We're going to do something that I haven't done since, I think, eighth grade history, which is straight up copy somebody else's homework. Nate Bauer joining the show to talk about his article over at bluewhiteillustrated.com. Three players in Penn State's bold development that are critical to take the next step into 2022. It's an awesome topic. It's an awesome conversation topic as well. So we're doing it here on the show today on the BWI Daily. Nate, thanks for having a great idea. I'm absolutely going to pirate it like it's a movie in the 2000s. Take it, buddy. Take <laughs> it and run with it. It's, uh, it's, it is broad, right? Like yeah. I limited it to three because I ran out of time. Uh, I, I could have made it eight, 10. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, like that's just, that's just what you kind of see on Penn state's offensive side of the ball in particular, like, and it's not because there's a rash of players who are leaving or who are graduating or who are going to the NFL early. It's because the offense wasn't very good this year. Yeah. And so, all of those young players that you haven't seen, it's there's there's an opportunity for literally every position for somebody to step up and be the next guy at that position. So 100%. Uh, what made you pick the three guys? We'll get to them and we'll we'll talk about them individually. But what what, what made you narrow the list to these three? Um, You know, so let's go through them real quick. It was Malik Mega uh, at receiver, Christian Bayou at quarterback and refresh my memory. Who was the. Landon Tangwall. Landon Tangwall. And so uh no, like I think I think that a big part of it is that all three got some run, right? So like they weren't yeah. completely shelved this year. So they got meaningful game reps, which suggests to me that they're already further along in their development and are I mean, obviously Bayou was kind of a um you have to do it, right? I yeah. mean, uh, <laughs> it wasn't vote. necessarily a choice. It was, we have one quarterback that can play. Let's see what he can do. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so because of that, um, you know, I think, I think that, um, there, there are, there are very obviously paths to the field for these guys. And it, you know, it's just about, it's just a matter of look like, let's not act like the next three weeks of, bowl practices are going to dictate success or failure alone, right? Yeah. It's the future. It's it's yeah. the next three weeks. It is all of winter workouts. It is all of spring practices. It is all of summer reps. So all of this stuff is important for these guys. But I think given the fact that you get this hands-on developmental instruction from your coaches, right? As opposed to GAs necessarily, um, or having to do it on your own, which is what most of the summer is. That's that creates, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a crucial element to this, right? Like, you, yeah. you, well, you got, you got to make the most of it. You got to maximize it. It's, it's a incremental process and it's an accumulative one over the next eight to nine months but it's a critical part where if you can if you can put some hay in the barn early you feel better about the future and i think that's kind of how these three if i'm if being fair is you feel a little bit better saying things about these three that we've actually seen play football as opposed to some of the ones i'm going to bring up afterwards after we get to these guys uh because it's not as you pointed out you could have eight to ten of them i limited to just three more we might throw in one more on top of that but first off if you want to go read nate's full article bluewhiteillustrated.com you can sign up for just one 
dollar for 12 months of access it's plus content so you do need to be a subscriber to check out nate's article uh and we're gonna have all kinds of that coming up in the next couple of weeks with the early signing period and with some bowl prep and all the stuff in the off season the insider information that you can only get from bluewhiteillustrated.com sign up for just one dollar for 12 months i was trying to do the math nate I can't do math like that. That's fractions and decimals, and you need to know exactly how much that is per day. And it's even crazier per article for the first year, for as much as we do. I, I believe this is where you say, uh, for less than the price of a cup of coffee. No, but it's we're into fractions of cents at that point. I mean, you know, when it comes to the amount of words you can read for a dollar, we're now into for theoretical less- math. For less than one grain of rice. There you go. Now we're in. Now we're talking. Uh, before we get to that, though, some news that broke today. We are going back to the transfer portal. Penn State's uh, second player that's entered the portal, Des Holmes, is our next player who is leaving the Nittany Lions. The redshirt senior has one year left of eligibility and will be playing elsewhere. This is one of those situations where no one's surprised by this. Um, but I guess the the only question I'm wondering is, you would say in this point, ah, Penn State's losing depth at a critical position along the offensive line. But even when they weren't good at it, it's not like they were using their depth, Nate. Is is it surprising that they didn't do that? Kind of looking back on the year with the with the way the players that played executed. Um. Yeah. Unless you think that it's a, you know, such a dramatic step back or drop off in performance, then what options do you really have? Um, you know, I, I, Des is interesting to me just because he came on so early in his career. He was a guy who, um, James Franklin literally, you know, pointed out in a preseason practice, right. As, uh, having done some really nice things and, um, being in a position to, to contribute, like not this year, not the year before that, the year before that, right? Like, the, like 2019, Des was in a position and and did some things, right? I mean, he he played, he got some run, and then things just kind of went sideways a little bit. I think injuries were involved there, yeah. Um, and then it just never it just never really came back. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, this is college football now, and if you are not able to produce uh, and to to be available, then this is kind of what you're left with. Yeah, and it's uh, we'll get into some of the guys that we're thinking of. On th- let's just start with Landon Tangwall. Let's get right into it. Of one of the guys that you think is critical for development along the offensive line, because really, to me, he's the only one. <laughs> and what you saw from Landon Tangwall this year: limited snaps, but good play overall. What was your focus when looking at Landon Tangwall in the development phase? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that that very clearly he was a guy who Penn State identified as being close to ready from the get-go, right? Like, as yeah. soon as he got to campus, he was in a position where Penn State had some decisions to make as to, to what they wanted to do with him. And I think just generally speaking, the overall philosophy is you always want to preserve a red shirt. You always want to have at least five years uh, not at least, but you want to have the full five years for your offensive lineman, just because, as we've discussed here previously, 22-year-old bodies are drastically different from... At that position in bodies. particular. Right. Especially at that position. And so 
that that seemed to be what um you know what Penn State was was trying to do with him and 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 did that even though I think it it became pretty clear through the course of the season that they needed help there on the offensive line it's just a question of whether or not their their true freshman tackle could step in well let's not even call him a tackle let's call him an offensive lineman their their true freshman offensive lineman could step in and outperform a guy who was already in a position to to contribute I mean it's yeah it was it was a t- I think it was probably a tough call, but ultimately they were able to preserve that red shirt. And down the stretch, you know, he he found himself in a position to contribute. So, just some background on some of the numbers that you saw. Uh, this one in particular with Landon Tangwall and his zone blocking grades. This is uh, some of the information we found after the uh, Rutgers game. So this is specific to one game. But overall, uh, his 77.8 run blocking grade was one of the best on the team. 82.6 overall grade. These are all PFF numbers, by the way. Uh, One pressure on 81 pass blocking snaps, but I always say terms and conditions apply because it was a snow game where he came in in uh, replacement of Bryce Efner for two series and then uh, a game against Rutgers that did not have somebody that can challenge him at the position he was playing at left tackle athletically, at least in in my estimation of the talent that was on the football field. That, to me, is the biggest question about Landon Tangwall is the development of him as, a, as an offensive lineman clearly has been going well. But what position does he play? Um, right. And he played left tackle this year, but you were saying offensive lineman because it's not just left tackle he was practicing at this year, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, James Franklin has brought it up previously that he took reps at guard and center, I believe, Um, right? And so uh, I don't want to – I'll get tangled up in the weeds between left and right, Um, but certainly he got some reps at right tackle, Uh left tackle, definitely one of the guard positions, and definitely center. So I think think that what a guy like that does is it creates – it's a it's a it's a good problem to have, right? You you want to have that flexibility so that other guys who might be a little bit more limited in what they can do. Um, obviously, Penn State likes to have flexibility just in general on that offensive line. Yeah. Phil Troutwine prioritizes it. He wants those guys to be able to play multiple positions. Um, the the more that you have, the 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 more options that you have in finding the right ingredients, the right mix of guys that can be there on the offensive line. However, um, you know, for him in particular, it and we talked about this previously. There becomes there becomes a question of whose whose best assets do you prioritize? Yeah, right. Like who 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 on the offensive line? Who do you want to maximize the most? Right, because right. if you if you have a guy who can be your left tackle but can only be your left tackle, who is not as good necessarily as somebody else who can be your left tackle and your right tackle. Right. What do you do there? Right. Does, does that bump out the left tackle who can only play that position? It, yeah. Obviously you see where I'm going with this, but um, you know, I think, I think that those are some of the considerations that Penn state has to make uh, as it moves forward. And, and particularly with, with this kid, with Landon, it's all right, figure out what he does best right now. Yep. Uh, through especially these couple of weeks is all right. Where, where does he project? What what does he do? And then how does that fit within Penn State's system? So, uh, you know, the, the funny thing is there is still kind of even when you see in coaching, 
there's not much of a difference between what you ask your right tackle and your left tackle to do. Uh, just in, for example, against Michigan, you've got David Ajabo with 11 sacks at the end of the season and Aiden Hutchinson with 13 or 14. I don't know what the total was after the Big Ten championship game, but like you need to have pass protectors on both sides. So the the idea of left and right tackle is less important in their abilities. It's more important to have two left tackles that can play on either side of the line of scrimmage. But when you do have to make that decision, the most athletic player goes on the left side and the less athletic player goes on the right side for all those reasons of most quarterbacks are right-handed that most football fans already know. Uh, but the problem Penn State has, and this is something I've been working on uh, over the last couple of weeks and we've been doing a show on it and possibly something at BlueWoodIllustrated.com is they don't have any tackles. To me, when I've evaluated Landon Tangwall, his his high school film, now the size is one thing, but to me, his best position would be guard, where I think he could be an NFL player. That's the level of talent he has physically. All Big Ten, all that stuff. And then he plays at left tackle and plays really well. Terms and conditions apply. So I'm willing to be wrong there. But at the same time, what is going to maximize his impact? And you're right about that. I, I, I wonder if it's going to be out of necessity that you have guys playing at certain positions going forward, because that's how I kind of feel the offensive line is built this year. So another guy that you didn't mention that I want to bring up with all of that in mind, another guy with a tackle body is Olaf Ashanu. Um, Why didn't he make your list necessarily? And then he's a guy that we heard about this year. Maybe we didn't see. What are your thoughts on him going forward? Yeah, he just, he just would have, been in second place among the offensive linemen. Gotcha. <laughs> like, like I said, I mean, I, I just, there was kind of this undercurrent of conversation through the course of the season about getting young guys in a position to, to play, right? Uh, because the offensive line wasn't really having a whole, a whole lot of success. And so naturally the, the, uh, the chain of, of, thinking is all right well if your starters aren't playing that well or somebody's hurt then a guy that you mentioned in September as having flashed during preseason camp and shown some strides and taken some steps why isn't he in a position to contribute now given the predicament that you're in otherwise and to me and maybe it's just me I I think it speaks volumes yeah (laughs) that that given some of the challenges that they had and some of the, the, the obstacles that they were facing as an offensive line, not just with performance, but with injuries and, and all of that, that these guys weren't necessarily ready, you know, yeah. that they weren't, that they weren't viable options to, to be better than, you know, cause look, we, we get into this all the time. Sean Clifford at 60%, as being the better choice than the backup at a hundred percent, right. With, without having ever been being hit, right. Like yeah. that, those are, those are decisions that are made constantly uh, for, for coaches, but uh, you know, given the offensive line and some of the challenges that it saw this year, that, that Olu and Landon in particular weren't in a position where they felt comfortable playing them, uh, I, I think tells you a little bit about you know, where they are and what the expectation should be so for them. This is this is the thing that I don't really know how to answer and, and we go back and forth on this all the time. Olaf Fashanu is a redshirt freshman on the roster. Do they consider last year a redshirt year, a true redshirt year, 
Or is everyone just designated that and then guys like Kasiah Holmes or Fashanu are actually getting their redshirt development year this year and it's pushing back their timeline? How That's what I don't know how to answer because it yeah. is telling that a true freshman in Landon Tangwall was the guy that they put in at left tackle when everyone was sick. And we don't know Fashanu if he was healthy. I don't, I don't know if I have that information as far as I didn't see him during practice that week and he was not a guy that I saw getting any reps going into that game. But that when they needed somebody, it was Tangwall, and it stayed Tangwall, and it wasn't Fashanu. Yeah, it, I mean, it's yeah. it, it is hard to know. It is hard to know just given what happened there with that sickness that seemed to really get the entirety of the offensive line. Like yeah. I don't know, I don't know how many bodies they had that were ready to play in that game. So um, yeah, no, I think I think you make a good point. I I, I think it's just um, you know. Last year was, in many ways, a lost year. It just, it was. Uh, yeah. Developmentally, I think that, that you see that throughout the roster of guys who were true freshmen last year and just didn't, they weren't, unless you were actively playing. So a Parker Washington, for instance. Right, right. You were, you were getting those quality reps to whatever extent they could be, given the protocols that were in place. But you were getting that in practice uh, a, a lot of those other guys my sense from from what i've gathered is that it, it was not of the value or really anywhere close to it as you would expect for a normal redshirt freshman first year in the program developmental year yeah let's uh one of those guys we might be pointing to about last year let's let's go on to our next player on this list that would be malik mega who Penn State fans are very excited about after his play against Rutgers. Here are his numbers. Four targets, three receptions, 78 yards, and one touchdown. 67 of those yards coming on one play. So, Nate, what's your thought about Mega and his role going forward? Because I know that he's a guy you and I have talked about quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he's just a guy who looks the part. Uh, if you if you see him in practice, he, he's he's tall. Uh, he he looks built. He is fast. He just he has all of those ingredients that get you excited. If you're a, a fan or certainly obviously a coach, um, you know it's just a matter of of him putting it together. And I think that the 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 struggle in terms of expectations for him is. Like you said, a 67-yard touchdown where he was standing completely by himself. Right, right. right. Uh, most of your receptions in the Big Ten are not going to come that way. And so you you have to establish that you can win some one-on-one -on -one matchups and you can, be, you can beat coverages. Yep. And I, I don't know that we have nearly enough of a body of work to be able to see where he is in that process. But... Uh, again, here, here's a guy who they thought and it appeared as though he would be able to start to contribute early in the season, had a setback due to injury. But once that injury was over, he didn't he didn't lose so much ground as to not be prepared to play once he had passed that. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, really from from Illinois on, he, he was a guy who you saw on the field at, at a position where they needed it. Um, yeah. you know, the, the, the wide receivers needed some extra contributors there, some extra bodies to take off some of the, 
the wear and tear of the top guys. And he was a guy who was ready to step in there. So you would have to think that given, you know, what's going to happen with Jahan Dotson after this season and given some of the needs that they already had there at receiver, that he's in a position that, again, to, to, to be able to take advantage of the next few weeks positions him well for the spring. How do you do you do you view it as a positive thing as far as you are more apt to believe Malik Mega is going to turn the corner or are you still unsure about the unknown? Cuz that's where I that's where I'm I'm struggling to find my footing on on kind of the projection going forward. Yeah, look, things can change. <laughs> things can things can change to the positive or the negative. I mean that th- yeah. those are that's always a possibility. However, all of the, uh, again, I, I hate to keep using this word, but like the undercurrent surrounding Malik is he, he does everything right. He, yeah. he practices hard. He practices well, right? Like if, yep. if you have that as the framework of, of being dedicated to the game, studying it, learning the game, he, he had some hurdles uh, moving from Canadian football to American football that he discussed at length in his his interview that he gave late in the season but it but if if you're coming at it with that approach then it it would seem to be uh, a situation where you know you're you're positioning yourself to maximize whatever your your capabilities are and certainly i think that uh you know that they would say that there's a high ceiling for him based on the physical attributes that he brings to the field uh, James Franklin said he's a four-three-three guy, but he doesn't believe that four-three-three guys exist, which I kind of agree with. Of like, you know, uh, numbers. The the forty-time numbers are always going to be what they need to be to say to to paint a picture of a guy's speed. But yeah, six-four, two hundred pounds. He's naturally big, so he doesn't have to pack on a ton of weight. Even though I think he could get up to two fifteen, and you might not notice. Um, but yeah, I, I was I've said since the beginning. I'll never not be intrigued by 6-4 and runs that fast. A couple guys that aren't on your list that I think we, we've we talked about before that are truly unknowns, and I'll bring up one name and we'll discuss a couple of them. Liam Clifford uh, is, we didn't see him this year, full redshirt year for the brother of Penn State starting quarterback. What is your sense of of that timeline and the other players behind the names we know as far as their ability to step in and contribute going forward, maybe not in the bowl game, but in the spring? Yeah, I, I, I mean, certainly Franklin brought up Clifford and Harrison Wallace as two true freshman receivers who had played well enough or shown themselves to be far enough along in preseason camp as to, to, I mean, he said that he thought that they would be on the field this year, that he he thought there would be more of an opportunity for those guys to play this year. And it just, you know, for one reason or another, it didn't happen. But again, if, if you've shown enough in your first couple of weeks on campus or months to, to, to be a consideration at that position, then I think that bodes well, right? Yeah. I, I think that bodes well. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were better or or more ready to to beat out or or uh, complement the guys who were ahead of them. But 
again, if, if you can get that seasoning, if you can get that time for development, for them to figure it out, it lessens your chance of mistakes. That can be backbreakers in games that, let's be honest here, so much of this season for Penn State football was about the margin of error being yeah. so slim. Yep. Which is interesting. So just- it's just interesting, uh, given the two guys you brought up, Harrison Wallace and Liam Clifford, Wallace was the guy that saw the field early in the season, got a couple of snaps. I don't know if he got a target, but he was he was on the football field. Liam Clifford, from the high school tape, I have much more confidence that he runs routes and gets open. Harrison Wallace just runs really fast and jumps really high. So to me, it, it uh, like I was the exact opposite of what I was expecting out of which one would see the field sooner. And yet here we are in this situation. Uh, so I, I, I'm, uh, this is the part I'm having a hard time with Nate is I used to be the guy that saw something and, and a, a trait that I liked or a certain play or something, and then extrapolate that out to an entire profile. The Daniel yeah. George thing of I liked his high school tape. He gets one really good play. He has the longest touchdown in the history of Beaver Stadium. And and I was he's the next guy, right? And then that didn't work out. So yep. <laughs> with some of these guys, yep. it's really hard to to project positively into the future with so many unknowns. But I think with with Clifford, my thought is that is one that I, I do think eventually will turn the corner to being a productive player. But do you feel comfortable with those names and kind of the, the where they're at in the narrative and the undercurrent, as you've called it, going into the spring? Or does Penn State need to add a guy in the portal, possibly, as a veteran presence behind some of the guys they have that we've mentioned? Yeah, I, look, uh, to behave as though Penn State is fine at really any position offensively, I, I'm seriously... Across the board, right? Like they thought they were stacked at tight end. They thought they were stacked at running back. Uh, receivers fine for this year. Quarterback was fine for this year. Um, actually, no. Scratch that. Quarterback was not fine for this year. Quarterback was a massive disaster this year. Yeah. They didn't have enough player. They didn't have enough bodies, right? Yeah. In preseason camp, when we saw three scholarship quarterbacks, that's not enough. You got to have four, at least, sometimes yeah. five. So, no, I mean, it, it, every position on the field that they go into the offseason with offensively, they should be looking very, very seriously. It doesn't mean that you just take anybody off the street yep. who wants to come play at Penn State. It yep. does not mean that. You don't just hand out scholarships like and, candy. And we're not talking about a guy that is like, oh, he was a former five-star with a lot of potential. Like, they need a guy that's played and knows how to play and that translates to the field immediately. They're not looking for Correct. more talent. They've got tons of talent. They need somebody Correct. at most positions that has produced. This is the thing Correct. that I think a lot of people, this is the narrative about Penn State, is great recruiters can't develop. What you just said, tight end, running back, a lot of uh, preseason talent. Are you buying into that notion? And is that something that's going to change with Taylor Stubblefield and Phil Troutwine at those particular positions and Tyler Bowen now as the tight ends coach? Do you think that that is a narrative that's going to shift with the positional coaches or is that just a thing that's true? I guess, what's your thought on that? Well, it it's hard for me because I, I hear that and... I think Jahan Dotson is markedly better than he was before Taylor Stubblefield arrived at at Penn State. 
I think that, uh, you know, I think that Jaywan Sider has a, a track record of success, right? Right. Like before Jaywan Sider came to Penn State, Journey Brown was not, he was a track guy, right? Like that's right. what they kept calling him, was a track guy who was trying to learn to play football and did learn to play football. And by the end of really his last game in the Cotton Bowl was dominant. He was yep. really, really good. Yep. So, I, you know, certainly I think that there are, there is evidence to say that at least from those two guys, yeah, they they, they do develop players. They they have had success stories. Parker Washington is, is a success story. Yeah. Phil Troutwine, it, we have, I think, yet to see that. I, I, I'm not sure uh, who you would point to so far in his tenure at Penn State that would make you say, oh, man, here's a guy who has um, – not just been serviceable, but has blossomed. Yeah, uh, I, I don't, I don't know that there's a guy individually who who we could point to and say that because Rasheed Walker has not, Caden Wallace has not, Mike Miranda has not, Juice Scruggs has not. Um, yeah, so it's 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 interesting too. Of and I, I, when I went back earlier this season when we were having this long conversation about how bad the offensive line is, and how <laughs> how. Phil Troutwine fits into that picture. And I, I guess I had never gone back and done a lot of digging on his career. This is this was his fourth year as an offensive line coach. Yep. So it's there there isn't a track record of anything, really. Like there's yep. four years, and that's not even enough time if you're at one place to to recruit and develop guys. What he did at Boston College was he took guys that were that were performing at an average level, and they all performed at an above average to nearly elite level, and you get one guy into the NFL in the first round. That yep. is how you build that profile, but there is no evidence of him recruiting and developing guys because this I, I, I think I have this right. This will be his fifth year and his second season of full recruiting at Penn State. So I guess the, the jury is going to be out there, but it's also the same thing of you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like just because one thing didn't go well doesn't mean you blow up the entire thing, which is the the what what you and I are seeing a lot from Penn State football fans is none of this is working because COVID season and then this year, so blow the whole thing up. And then yep. you you I don't know. We'll we'll get into uh, that at another they, day. People people tend to back off of that though at once emotions calm down, once right, like they're going to get into the off season and hope will again spring eternal. And I, I think I, I just look for, for all of the things that went wrong for Penn state this season, of which there were many, right? Like, and, and some not of Penn state's fault. You can't dictate injury, um, you know, development things that you can point at them and say, Hey, the coaching staff didn't bring these guys along fast enough. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. Misses in the portal. What, yeah. what have you, all of those different things. And, and like, even, even the media, certainly let alone fans were looking at it and saying, man, this is, this is um, rough, not where the program should be. Right. Yeah. Like what, what your expectations would be. It's not there. The, the worst loss that they had was to the number two team in the country at the time by nine points. <laughs> every every other loss that they sustained was outside of Illinois, which, look, it just, it, it was what it was. 
were three point losses, four point losses, like, yeah. you know, including to the, the eventual big 10 champion. So how far away they are, I think is what's up for debate because yeah. you can say that they're yeah. not there at a bunch of different places, right? Like yeah. that's, it, it's not, it's not like they're one guy away. It's that they, they are not close enough at, all of these different places, but they're, they are close <laughs> at all of those positions at all of those shortcomings. It's not like they're so drastically out of whack that some of that ground can't be made up with a little bit more time. It's just a matter of, Hey, you, you got to go do it. And this, that's why this off season becomes critically important. It, yeah. I mean, there, there's you, gotta you be a sense of urgency to it. You can't, tread water you have to take some significant strides forward especially on the offensive side of the ball because yep. the defense i mean it's going to be in flux there's no way you lose your defensive coordinator of six years and you maintain consistency that's that's a high bar to cross uh yep. one last guy that actually crosses both sides i want to bring up before we move on to our final guy on your list would be marquise wilson as far as an offensive developmental player is he an offensive player? Is he a receiver? Is he a defensive back? He spent time at both positions this year. Uh, do we know now where he's playing at Penn State? We do not. Okay. We do not. Because because he, he I mean, he played both this year, right? Yeah. I mean, all, all signs, all indications were that he had made the switch to, to the offensive side of the ball and would be able to help there. He got some reps on the offensive side of the ball and, you know, just the the presumption was that he wasn't far enough along to be a consistent contributor at receiver but give him more time give him more practice reps he'd get there do you think he can play both sides like do you think he can moonlight at both positions going forward because that's what it no. feels like what he did this year was he he took some reps with the receivers he was working with receivers and then they bounced him back over to the corners and that's kind of where he ended the year but this offseason, if he put in the time to play receiver, do you think he could play both? Maybe. I don't like the idea. <laughs> Let me just say I, that's what I'm saying. Is I, I mean it's it's kind of the it's kind of the narrowing it down, but like the baseball football dividing your attention kind of deal, right? Like if if uh, jack of all trades, it, and so. Do do you want him to be a guy who can maximize his potential and you know really bring a lot to the program? And maybe that maybe that's maybe that's for the program. That is what that is. Is okay. You, you got a versatile guy who can come in and fulfill a need based on whatever it is week to week. But I don't think that. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't. I don't think that that's. Uh, I don't think that that's realistic in in today's football. So I saved the the meatiest conversation for last because that's what I like to do. I like to eat my favorite thing on the plate last, so that's my lasting memory. A lot of people like to get to it first, so I probably if we lost you. My bad, you're not listening anyway. Christian Veyu, <laughs> the last person on your list, the last uh, player on your list of important developmental players, the most important as Penn State's. Uh, backup quarterback. These are his stats, 15 of 24 for 235 yards, three touchdowns, and uh, a little context for that. Big-time throws, turnover-worthy plays, according to PFF, one of each. So as we talked about, uh, two 
two busted coverages for touchdowns. One great throw by Veyu, and that would be the one to Tyler Warren where he threaded it between a safety and a linebacker. Do you think with seasoning, going back to our food metaphor, he can uh, he can play part-time in the bowl game? Do you think that's a formula for Penn State's success this offseason? Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that, too. Um, the quarterback might be too loaded of a position to talk about, but I was expecting to see more of Landon Tangwall in the final game against Michigan State, more yeah. so than just two series. And some of these guys, now you're into the bowl season. I was, I know they want to win games because they don't want to go seven and five, but at the same time, I was surprised we didn't see more young guys as the season went on where you can still preserve those red shirts and get them playing time so you feel better as the coaching staff seeing them physically do it in a game. Do you think that's a value for them in the bowl game? Absolutely. I think it's absolutely a value that if the opportunity presents itself, if 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 the development happens over the next three weeks where right. they find themselves in a much better position to contribute, then yeah, I mean, I, I look... <laughs> That there is there's always this fundamental divide between what fans want, which is moving on, right? Yeah. Like to, uh, out with the old, in with the new. Let's see what the new guy can do. Versus, hey, you don't want to knock this guy off track by putting them in a position where they can't succeed. And so, you know, it, it's it's the the individual players preparedness for this it's the matchup yeah right like who who are you facing if you if you've got a particularly strong defensive end uh who is going to eat your lunch then yeah you don't you don't want to put the new guy out there to to be put in a position to fail personally and to fail the team yeah. right like put the team in a bad spot so no i mean i think that these are these are all of the conversations and all of the decisions that are probably being made literally as we speak when the coaches aren't at in-home visits on the recruiting trail right now i mean that, right. that's just that it is such a busy busy month uh and and that is a huge part of it is deciding and determining where some of these guys are in in their trajectory, right? Like, where are they on the path? Did you see enough from Veyu that you would believe he has the opportunity to start next year pending Sean Clifford's status going forward? Yes. I don't think that it would be necessarily ideal for Penn State. So, you know, I mean, he'll be, he'll look, be a redshirt freshman next year. Yeah. Um, and it's not ideal to start a redshirt freshman, but redshirt freshman, it's not the, it is not the same as starting a true freshman. You've had a full, Correct. especially if you're an early enrollee like Veyu was, where you've had a full year and a half now in the system. Uh, are we overstating that part a little bit where you're never going to move on if you always have a veteran option? You're absolutely never going to play a young guy if you always have a, a Sean Clifford hanging around. And is that delaying your program? Because in the NFL, and I understand it's a different thing, NFL quarterbacks play, and then we find out immediately what they are. We don't we don't wait around three years anymore. Is that maybe not? It's not three years in college like it used to be, where you're redshirt junior getting your start and playing whatever. Maybe it's redshirt freshman. Your that your clock is accelerated a little bit. 
Is that fair? I mean, wouldn't wouldn't Aaron Rodgers like <laughs> like he didn't start right away? Sure, but they, he was behind a Hall of Fame quarterback. Okay, Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, I mean, you name it. Like, yeah. there's there's lots of guys who who have gone on to have quite a bit of success that were aided by not having to play right away. It just it just takes time. Like, I, yeah. I know nobody wants to have that patience, and there are occasional success stories of guys who can come in right right away and have success. But so then, I guess not. the 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 timeline is the is the question as well. So. It, it It is the conversation of then are you waiting two and a half years to see Drew Aller on the football field or Bo Perbula? Is that the future Penn State football fans who want to unwrap their toy week one? And I'm saying wait a little bit, like, you know, maybe get to week six before we start talking about that with a true freshman quarterback. But with a redshirt yeah. freshman, uh, you know, who's shown positive signs, I just this is to me. In this situation, there has to be a. T- at some point, you got to leap off the cliff. You've got to bet on yourself. And if you're Penn State and the development of your players, you got to bet on yourself that you're going to have a, a guy ready to go. I know it's it's unfair to compare, but in the landscape, you see more redshirt freshmen that succeed there after if they're a high quality prospect in their first year starting. Yeah, I'm, I, I look like. I, my general outlook on this is that the more experience you have in a guy like Mike Yersich's offense, the the better prepared you are to succeed, regardless of um, you know necessarily just pure athletic talent or just pure skill as a quarterback. Knowledge is power at that position. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, you know, look like again. I mean. I've, we've talked about this here before. I think my understanding is that Sean Clifford will have the choice to come back or not. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know it frustrates people. I get it. You've seen this program with Sean Clifford and it has not gotten to the level of success that anyone necessarily wants. However, he, he did have success this season before he got hurt. He had two, significant wins against Auburn and uh, against Wisconsin had positioned Penn state pretty well in that Iowa game to have success, right? Like, I mean, let's just, let's be fair about this. He's, he's not, he's not all world, but he's not garbage either. Like this is a, this is a kid who can play. And so in his sixth year, potentially that there is still the opportunity for him to do good things. And I just think that there are assumptions being made about Christian value and how prepared he is for that. I mean, look like Trace McSorley was at the end of what year number three in the program before he really got his first opportunity with Penn state and he made the most of it. Yep. Um, you know, like uh, Sean Clifford was in year three before he got that opportunity. Like I I just, the more time that you have, I generally speaking helps. That does not mean that if Christian Veyu comes out and is a world beater makes all of this development between now and then 
that you don't go with the guy who gives you the best chance to win. So that that, that is, and I, I apologize, I derailed us with that particular conversation. The real question is, if Sean Clifford comes back, does anyone have the opportunity to play other than Sean Clifford? Because if, if it's a true competition... Uh, yeah. going forward, if you say, okay, Sean, like, you know, this is, we want to have you back, but it, as always, the best player is going to play. And I don't know that Penn State fans feel that part is true. And I, I to this point, I think that that's true. Like Christian Veyu was not ready to play this whole season. And I'm probably overplaying the card of, you know, he can be ready to play next year, but will he? Maybe by the middle of the season, end of the season, but do you then do that to Sean Clifford? Is James Franklin willing to do that? And that I think is when, the problem. Really looking at this situation uh, is is. When, Go when, Sean, when Sean Clifford when Sean Clifford didn't perform well, 2020. What happened? They put when in Will Levis. Came. Yeah, correct. Right, like if. If there is any doubt, if there is, uh, you know, a a a problem at that position, if if Sean Clifford isn't living, isn't winning the job, like I, I just, I, I do, I understand the argument about loyalty and that maybe James Franklin is too loyal to that position, but I I also understand it. I understand what he sees that position as in terms of its role on the field. And so maybe, maybe backup can get you backup X can get you two more completions in a game, but doesn't do uh, some other things well enough that Sean Clifford does do well. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, look, like, you've, you've talked me off the I, ledge I, I twice wanna, on this wanna, conversation, by the way. Well, I just, I don't want to be the guy <laughs> that like piles on, but take one Roberson couldn't get the snap off. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you've you have seen some of what can happen when you have a, a a guy in who who does have ability but can't do other certain things well enough. And yeah. so I, I just I think that you know what you have with Sean Clifford, and it 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 doesn't mean that he is completely without repercussion if he doesn't play well or if he doesn't do the things that he needs to do it's just it's just I, I i tend to think that people are kidding themselves that he has established this through his career to this point and that next year would somehow be any different from that it's so just a matter of his health you you've the last two times we've talked about this particular conversation last week i think it was on a thursday maybe it was friday and now today You've talked me off the ledge twice because I'm I'm ready to get onto the next evaluation. Like I'm ready to see the next quarterback because you know, fan or not, you want to see great things happen. You want to see something you've never seen before, and you know what you're going to see with Sean Clifford. But you're you bring up such valid points, and Nate, that's why we have you here. You keep everyone on the train track. So thanks for coming on the show today and keeping this show on the rails. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I keep anybody but you off the train track. There's a <laughs> lot of people who are going to be mad at me about this segment, but uh, you know, I, I just you, you got to look at it as the gradients of gray that it is. It's yeah. not it's it's not a situation where you can where you can immediately point to the next guy and say, "Oh, these things are going to be so much better. There's going to be no downside." 
it's always risk reward. It's all, it's always these conversations and these, these decisions that have to be made. And I'm not sure that there's necessarily a right answer, but to the absolute original point, that's why these months, these weeks are so critically important for a yep. guy like Christian Bayou is he can, if he hasn't already, and I think that he has, but if he hasn't already, he can make it a much harder decision, right? Like, yep. win the job, <laughs> win the job, make it, make it so that it's not uh, a, a shoe in. If, if, if people are disappointed uh, or, or have an issue with Sean Clifford coming back and winning the job, maybe the push should be, hey, backup X, whoever you are, whether it's Drew Aller, uh, Christian Veyu, or Bo Pribula, go win the job. Go be so good that there's no there's no conversation and there's no decision to be made. But I, I'm not sure that we're going to see that realistically. Yeah, and, that, and 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 to bring up Sean Clifford in this particular show, talking about young guys at this particular position at quarterback is important because it's the context of does it matter that that Christian Veyu? All of this conversation is a moot point if he doesn't play next year. But to your point. It, it is. That's exactly what the next three weeks and the next offseason and the next six months of his life are going to be about. So, Nate, you nailed the dismount. That's the BWI Daily Edition. We'll come back tomorrow. Uh, we're talking about the defenders, young defenders we're, we're talking about with the bowl development, right? Yep. We'll be, be doing here. that. We'll be doing that tomorrow, so stay tuned. Another great conversation with Nate Bauer on tap on the BWI Daily Edition. We'll talk to you tomorrow.